Hi, I'm Ray, and you're listening to Insert Quest here. Uh, today, my pronouns are they, them, and with us are Dana Cameron and Hamish Cameron, the two designers behind an upcoming game called Dinosaur Princesses. Thank you for being on our show today. Uh, would you please tell us your pronouns and a little bit about yourselves? Uh, hi, Ray. Uh, my name is Hamish Cameron, and my pronouns are he, him. Um, and I am a game designer by night uh, and a historian by day uh, and occasional streamer of things. <laughs> occasional streamer of top quality uh, death content, usually. Um, you might know me from The Sprawl. Um, hi, I'm Dana Cameron. My pronouns are she, they, and um, I'm kind of new to game designing, and I tend more on the um, layout, editing, um, and small writing gigs on the game stuff. And you might know me from Cyber Kittens, uh, an expansion for The Sprawl. Excellent. I didn't know that you had contributed to uh, Cyber Kittens. That's very cool. Cyberkins is entirely Dana with editing from me. I did not know that at all, and that is very cool. Um, so you're here today to tell us a little bit about your game, Dinosaur Princesses, which we will get to in a second, and I'm very excited for, because I remember you, uh, Hamish, last time we did an interview, uh, you uh, you mentioned it, and I got very excited. <laughs> uh <laughs> Uh, but before we get to that, I wanted to talk a little bit about how um, you both first got interested in role-playing games uh, and then transitioned to discussing how you f- first moved from playing or le- hearing about role-playing games to actually uh, making role-playing games. So who would like to tell us that tale first, starting with you know, how you got interested in role-playing games? Uh, I have been nominated um, <laughs> to start here, uh, and this this story or a more detailed version of the story, um, I think, is can be found in a previous uh, edition of this podcast. Indeed, if you click Hamish's name in the tags below this video, you'll be able to find other interviews that they've done for us. Mm-hmm. So I, um, yeah, I got into role playing when I was around ten or eleven, um, uh, an older. I guess like a friend of the family type person who was at a party at a grandparent's house had like a fighting fantasy game book. Um, and I spent the evening reading that. And then the next day drove into, well, not, I didn't drive obviously, but I was driven into uh, the nearest city to find a bookstore to buy more fighting fantasy game books, which for those of you in America, are like choose your own adventure books. Uh, they were big in, in the UK and in the antipodes, I think. Were they big in Australia as well, Ray? Um, I've definitely heard of them, but, uh, and like I've owned a couple, but I don't know how popular they were. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, I just remember there was a whole stand of them at the, at the Wickles that I went to. Uh, anyway, I bought some some of those. One of them accidentally was not actually a game book. It was essentially like the rules for playing an actual role-playing game. Um, and then I started running it for my uh, friends at primary school and then at high school. And, um, that was the end of it basically. (laughs) Cool. Uh, yeah. Do you want to? Uh, yeah, I got into role playing um, actually through AOL chat rooms back when I was like fourteen, um, where there was a free form role playing um, called Write In. Some people might remember it. Um, so I did that pretty obsessively for a while, um, and then I met some people when I was a late teenager who actually role played in person, and I was like, oh, what a unique idea. 
Um, <laughs> and so my first tabletop role playing game was Seven Seas. Um, hmm. and, yeah, and then I played that for a while, and it wasn't until I went to college that I first played Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and really, I mean, it's mostly been D and D up until. Up until I really met Hamish, I guess, uh, and started going to cons, and I played my first like Powered by the Apocalypse games um, and some other systems like that. Uh, wow! Wow! Um, yeah, now most of my gaming tends to be more con focused. I guess we have our D and D group here. But- yeah, interesting. That's cool. It's interesting to hear. Uh, I really love this part of the interview because it's always interesting to hear how different people got into role playing games. It's like it's. Um, Hamish is the second person that got into that I've heard of that got into role playing games through Choose Your Own Adventure games. The first person that I've heard of that got into it by accident. Um, <laughs> the and I think uh, Dana, you're the first person I've heard of that got into it through AOL chat rooms. Yeah, but not of- the first through freeform. Yeah, that kind of freeform internet play is is really big and kind of untapped in a lot of ways i think i think there's a ton of people who did that and still yeah. do that we actually have a friend here who that's how was her introduction to role playing as well was through the same AOL chat room we were very excited when we found that we're like mm-hmm. we were in the same guilds at the same time i wonder if we knew each other and she wow. was in a chat game with another friend of mine which is how we met this friend so oh, right. this whole yeah. like underground network of like free freestyle chatters mm-hmm. i have noticed an interesting phenomenon about um the role-playing game, like, professional community is that it is very interconnected uh, in terms of its internet presence. Um, In particular, it makes it feel like the American internet is very small because there's a friend of of mine that I met through a... (sighs) Some friends that I know locally played Overwatch with a friend of theirs, and then they became like a close-knit group. <laughs> and then they were like, oh, come play Overwatch with these people. I'm like, yeah, I guess. And I grew closer to these people, and it turned out that this friend of mine, they keep being known to industry people when I meet them. <laughs> because <laughs> their partner is someone like mildly um, well-known. Uh, so it's like, oh, I followed this person on Twitter and they want to do an interview with me. And they said, and I saw that you follow them and that like you already know them and stuff. It's like, oh yeah, I know them from blah 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 blah. And it's like, what the heck? And like, we just keep finding more and more people that we both know. Um, it's very yeah. strange. I imagine that you'd find that with most industries. Like when I think about like my day job as a as a classicist, and I. If you know a professional classicist, chances are I at least know them or have heard their name. Mm. Um, and I f- feel like that's probably similar in most relatively small mm. industries because you go to industry conferences and you hang out with industry people and you talk about industry stuff, regardless of what that industry is. It just gets a little weird, I guess, when the industry is also a lot of people's hobby. Yeah. Um, so I then mean, you get weird crossovers. And the internet's really just made the whole world a smaller place too because it's so easy to interact in ways that would have been impossible, you know, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been very good for role-playing because, like, yeah. it's enabled people to find groups that they wouldn't uh, normally have and play games that they wouldn't uh, normally play um, uh, and also allows them to, like, design games. Like, I know that I was not very interested in designing games when even when I started my podcast. Like, I saw lots of other actual play podcasters releasing content and 
new games and things like that. And I'm like, eh, maybe I'd release like a supplement book or something. But that's like the furthest I ever go. Cut to now. I'm currently writing 10 RPGs. <laughs> this is basically uh, my life story, too. <laughs> um, but I bring that up because how did uh, y'all make the fur make that transition from this is a hobby that I that I participate in by play and consumption to this is a hobby I participate in by creation? Or like, how did you move from player to? Uh, and when I say player, I also refer to like. GM as player there to designer. Um, I I did it kicking and screaming. I <laughs> I I never wanted to design games. Um, back when I was still living in Seattle, I did a lot of uh, playtesting for video games and, and stuff like that. And I, I had a lot of friends who worked in video game industry and. Everyone just assumed the fact that I was like doing this was that I was trying to get my foot in the door. I was like, no, 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 I never want to work in games. I never want to make games. And in my local D&D group, um, we were playing a long-term committed campaign of Dragonlance uh, for many years. Um, And several of the other players were really heavy into like mechanics and Mm -hmm. making things reflect how they would be in the real world. And they would spend hours making rules and I would just want to like smash my brains open um, because that's not what I was interested in at all. And I was like, I don't want to, I'm not interested in this part of like gaming. I just want to consume. Um, I just want my escapism. Um, and it wasn't until after I was at a con and I had a particularly bad experience at a table playing a game that I'd been really excited to try out. And um, it didn't go the way I expected. And I went to the bar and I drank a lot of Drambuie <laughs> and was like, I bet I could make something that I would enjoy more. And, uh, and that, and then I did, <laughs> uh, Hamish kept, uh, kind of made me do it. Well, kept reminding <laughs> me that I should do it. And, um, and yeah, so I, I wrote Cyber Kittens Project Bacon and Go and, um, and Cyber Kittens Pew Pew. And then one of our friends, uh, Fraser, who wrote The Veil asked me to do a stretch goal for him. So I also have a cat game for The Veil called Upcycle. Um, oh, I didn't know that you'd contributed to stuff for the veil. That's cool. Yeah, if 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 you find like dark, weird cat powered by the apocalypse add-ons, I might have had my finger in it, or at least I want to. And if anyone wants that for their game, contact me. I would love to write it. Nice. Oh my god! Oh my god! I'm writing a powered by the apocalypse games right now. Yeah, yes. if you want dark cat content, then uh, do I need dark cat mecca? Is that do I need yeah. cat mecca? Yes, always yes. Is that like? Angsty Voltron. Oh my god! Oh, like yes. what was it? The cats and oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, there's so much good robot cat content. Oh, mm. oh, bat, bat, was it battle beast bots, battle bots, battle beasts, battle beasts, the the transformer ones, beast and there was che- beast wars, beast and there was cheetah wars. Oh, yes, I loved so beast wars as a kid. Um, I did not. Anyway, yeah. so I've kind of decided that I kind of have a specific um, niche when it comes to writing, which is putting cats in your game. Um, wow. I'm also working on a choose-your-own-adventure text-based game um, about a, a kitten and the way it gets down to business, which was created through to predictive text, the mm-hmm. idea of it. Um, and I'm working with someone who I randomly met on Twitter uh, to write that game. Um, and then on the side, I'm doing editing and layout. Um, largely because I have opinions <laughs> on those things, and uh, I have Hamish as a captive. Editing, <laughs> editing, and layout is one of those things that I really, um, I really value 
as a designer and I'm very disappointed that I'm going to have, like, well, as a designer, I mean, like, as a game designer particularly because it's a skill set that I don't particularly have. And so I very much value others' ability to do that. And it makes me very disappointed that I'm going to pretty much have to do my own because I'm very poor. Um, that's what Kickstarter's are for. Yeah. That's what Kickstarter's uh, are for. We can, we, can, we can talk off the air about that. Uh, I think even if you are an editor, if you've written something, you need someone else to edit it. You can never yeah. self-edit. That's I'm an academic, so part of my job is like teaching writing and editing students' work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I... So I'm I'm pretty decent at editing, but no, I get an editor to do it because more eyes the better. Mm-hmm. Fair. Hamish, did you want to tell us a little bit about how you transitioned into design? I've kind of always been there. Like I yeah, started hacking fighting fantasy basically as soon as I got it because it didn't quite do what I wanted it to do. In the end they released the advanced version, which kind of did most of what I hacked it to do, like add skills essentially. Um but I started um I started more recently um with Game Chef a few years ago. Um, I forget what it was, like 2010 maybe. I don't know. It was right about the same time that I was uh, starting to work on The Sprawl, mm-hmm. um, which was really just a, a matter of like realizing that it was a thing that could be done and starting to do it, um, inspired by getting a mint first edition copy of Shadowrun at a secondhand store in the Bay Area um, and then having just played a lot of uh, Apocalypse World games and Dungeon World <laughs> and realizing that it would be a good mix. Yeah, cool. Well, um, that's my pencil because you just reminded me of a thing. Um, so, anyone listening, if you, whenever you get a good idea, write it down. Yeah, my table's kind of um, my table's essentially made out of material. That means I can use uh, use with a pencil. I can use my table like a whiteboard. Nice. Like it like dry erases lead. <laughs> that's good. Um, so I normally just write straight onto my table, which is very good when you're editing audio. Um, but I am I, I thought it might be interesting now to transition to a bit of discussion about this new game that you uh, that you both have coming out called Dinosaur Princesses. I, th- I think maybe why don't we start with um we'll start with like your standard elevator pitch stuff and then I and then we'll get you to go in more depth and I'll probably end up asking uh Lots of questions about what, how the dinosaurs and princesses interact and whether the dinosaurs can in themselves be princesses. I can feel the excitement emanating <laughs> through the thousands of miles that are between us, through the tubes of the internet. Through uh, them internet uh, tubes. So, uh, so di- yeah, what's that? What's, what is Dinosaur Princesses? So Dinosaur Princesses is a game where you play dinosaurs who are princesses uh, solving problems cooperatively with your friends who are also dinosaurs who are princesses. Um, it is a game for role players of all ages. Um, yeah, and it, it's about cooperative storytelling, um, relatively quick to play, rules light. Uh, have I missed anything? No, it's pretty much it's very um, new player friendly. So I, I kind of think of it as a good gateway game. Um, I've run it a couple times now. Um, and there's, it's usually people at the table and people who've never played a role-playing game before. Um, and because it's it's very rules-light, um, people take to it really quickly. Um, yeah. It's also easy to run. So. Yeah. It is both a gateway, drag, a gateway <laughs> game for players, but also a gateway game for uh, GMs. As it's yeah. I never ran games. I never wanted to run games. Uh, I also was dragged almost kicking screaming it to being a GM. Uh, even playing GM-less games or GM-full games usually give me panic attacks. Um, but Dinosaur Princesses is such a fun game that I was like, I kind of want to run it 
And so now I've been running it at cons um, and at the local um, arcade bar for people. So oh, cool. Um, so hmm, I'm torn between do I want to ask about mechanic stuff first or, you know what? I'm interested in first how much, if any, of a setting is in there. Because often games that are light and easy to run tend to also be light on setting. But that is not always true. So I'm interested to hear the answer to that. Uh, it is true in this case. Fair. So, <laughs> cool. Tell me. I have expansion questions, but if you have something, go for it. <laughs> uh, I mean, as far as the setting goes, it, it's kind of, it's not a part by the Apocalypse game, but it kind of, the beginning of the game kind of runs that way in that people build their dinosaurs and then uh, dinosaur princesses. And then as they're kind of being introduced um, to the table, the GM will ask questions that kind of world builds. Mm. Um, like, you know, do you go to school? What's your school like? Do you, where do you live? Are, um, are you, are you underwater? I mean, we played one in space before. Um, so people kind of, kind of build that as they, as they go. And, um, Mm -hmm. one of the really important parts of dinosaur princesses is that, um, the coloring and drawing part. Uh, and so people will draw. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, so that, well, it comes, that's a couple different parts. So one, the, the, the book itself, the game book, is also going to be a coloring book. Um, the character sheets... Um, I can't believe I'm going to have to actually buy a physical copy of a role-playing <laughs> game for the first time in my life. I mean, you could you could buy the PDF and print it out and color at home, I guess. Yeah. Um, the character sheets also are set up so you can, like, color and add on to your dinosaur princess to um, change them around and edit them. And then as you're doing the world building and as the story progresses, you draw on a big sheet of paper that's kind of your world map and everyone takes turn um, drawing on it, so... That's very cool. But I'm very into games that have crafty stuff for you Mm -hmm. to do. Um, So, question. Are the the games called Dinosaur Princesses? Are they princesses that have that rule over dinosaurs or have dinosaur companions like a dragon princess? Or are they dinosaurs that are princesses? The latter. They are dinosaurs that are princesses. And if you were playing in Dinosaur Princesses, if you were playing a dragon princess, you would be a dragon who was a princess. They're dinosaurs that are princesses. I should also say at this point that the princesses are um, uh, of all genders. Yeah. All genders can be princesses. Also fantastic. And on the character sheets, we'll have a pronoun section um, to help remind people that all princesses don't necessarily have to use she, her. Mm Mm-hmm. That's very good. I'm very into that. Yeah, pronoun sections very useful on uh, on character sheets of all types. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, more useful than having a section to put gender. In fact, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, because it's more like directly useful with what you're actually doing at the table that is talking yeah. to each other and referring to each other often with pronouns. Yeah, <laughs> and you can have. Sorry, okay. you go. I was going to say you can have pretty complex um, genders, whereas pronouns tend to be a lot more straightforward. Like a gen- gender can get really, really complicated and like a gender identity can mm-hmm. be a really like complex layered thing to try and put down on paper. Whereas pronouns generally pretty straightforward. But if you want to, you can make the, you can make the pronouns reasonably complex, right? If you want yeah, to, that's if you true. Want that direction. Yeah. yeah, for sure. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. Uh, a limitation. Um, so that's very cool. Um, so, how much of 
you mentioned like this drawing aspect mm-hmm. and what and coloring aspect of the game. Um, does that feature into character creation? And could you maybe tell us a little bit about character creation? Um, so, I mean, so character creation is actually pretty simple. You choose a name um, and a pronoun. And when you're choosing a character sheet, some of the character sheets will have kind of like coloring book outlines of certain types of more classical dinosaur shapes. Uh, and they'll also be blank ones so you can draw your own. Um, and I always tell the players when we're starting up that that the the coloring in and like drawing of their dinosaur princesses is kind of like the, one of the maybe the most important parts of the game because um, it, it really helps you dive into the right headspace of like this like imaginative, fun, expansive sort of playfulness um, in ways that are harder to do in a lot of other games, especially as adults. So this like really gives you that freedom to, I don't know, tap into your inner child uh, and kind of play in color. And you might not be great at drawing, but that's fine. Uh, and it's it's really cool to see how people uh, personalize their dinosaur princesses. Um, and then also in the process of building their characters, they'll decide what sort of dinosaur they are. And it could be classical dinosaur, like T-Rex or Raptor, or it could be, you know, a train, a cat, I played a platypus before. Um, you choose two words to describe your strengths as a dinosaur. Um, and then you choose what type of princess you are. And that can be like aquanaut or chef or news anchor. Um, and then you choose two words to describe your strengths um, as your princess. And that's basically it. Are those, are those um, when you're making those choices to like um, picking those things to describe your power, your strengths and stuff, are those pulled from a list or is it or is it or is it fate aspect style and then it's just like any word you want to put in there? Uh, it's kind of any word. We have suggestion lists mm-hmm. so people kind of have an idea, but I find most people end up using their own words. Yeah. It's classic sort of powered by the apocalypse style. Here's a pick list for inspiration. Um, that if you just are stuck, you can go for that pick list. And if you're not, then you just can put down your own thing and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. That works. Um yeah, I'm very into I really like those lists and things on Powered by the Apocalypse games. And even though for me, they feel more like they often feel more prescriptive. It's still always very good when you have that, that like end. Or, I, I remember in particular in the sprawl, you have like, you have lists of names and stuff. And then you have like things like an animalistic name or like mm-hmm. a savage name. Or, I don't know if those are actually examples, but those kinds of things where it's like, here's how, here's the rough suggestion of how I generated the names. Yeah. And, um, and shout out to Avery Elder for that. That's, that's from Monster Hearts. Oh, edition. really? There you go. I didn't know that that was in Monster Hearts. Yeah. That's a uh, cool DNA of Monster Hearts in this book. Excellent. So what, um, what does running or or what does playing dinosaur princes look like in terms of um, uh, does it have a dice mechanic or other resolution mechanic and how do you do that? What do you envision standard play looking like? Yeah, so it has a dice pool mechanic where you the where the dinosaur princesses will roll a dice pool against the uh, paleontologist, which is the name of the GM figure. That's good. Um, and then uh, you either succeed or fail at various. Like you kind of set scenes as you go. It's a it's a scene setting game as well. Um, and uh, you try to sort of overcome the problems that the scenes set before you in order to overcome an entire problem that is the the. The one episode and so it kind of plays out like the length and kind of story of like a saturday morning cartoon type of thing um 
you have like a number of scenes equal to the number of players. So if you're playing a big game, and for these purposes, I would say like five is a big game. Have you played how many? Six. You My first, six? The first time I ran it was, was know, six, which yeah. one was six, right? Yeah. 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 Um, it was big. I between was between three and six players. And so I would estimate like 20 to 30 minutes per player, like for length of game. You think that's me? Based on your recent uh, experience? I think it all depends on, on, on how it's going. I've run it for five people in 40 minutes. Before. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Uh, wow. <laughs> But you, that was a really good I, was, I, I did. I did less steps and less scenes we normally do. That's because some people had to leave. Um, mm-hmm. And I knew ahead of time that we just had to do it really short. Um, mm-hmm. So we definitely rushed through it a bit. But we still ended up having like a nice um, arc. I think I normally, when I run it between three to six people, it's usually run at about an hour and a half. Yeah, one of my main design goals or the main design goal for it is that um, it's it's designed for a couple of kids who are who are the children of um, friends of mine. Um, And they, at the time I started designing it, were like four and six. And so I wanted to run a game that they they would want to play. Uh, Dinosaurs and princesses are their two respectively favorite things. So that's why it's dinosaur princesses. (laughs) Um, And I, yeah, so it's designed with that in mind. Like every time I, I kind of think about making a tweak to the rules or something, I think about the intended audience of these two, like, early primary school preschoolers, right? And theoretically, the idea is that uh, if you are, if you can say the word paleontologist, then you can run the game. Um, <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> I don't know. If, I, don't, I don't know that what the youngest GM that's run it has. I, that hasn't been, like, yeah, I'm not sure yeah, about I don't that. Know. I don't know if you've had a, a kid run it yet. And that'll be the true test. Mm-hmm. It will, yeah. Cool. Anyway, that's that's the that's the aim that it should be like very approachable for kids and both like kind of allow them to express whatever they want in the game without the game like restricting them. Um and also that they should be able um I forgot where I was gonna go with that. Uh express what they want. Um oh and that it would <laughs> fittingly, uh, that it might be somewhat flexible to adapt with potential um, attention span issues. <laughs> um, so if, you, if, if the kids who are playing it decide, like, I'm not into it in the, for some particular reason, like, within, like, the first couple of scenes, you could you could wrap it up if necessary. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I'm interested in what kind of tools you've provided for, um, for your potential storytellers, your potential paleontologists, rather, um, to help them build, uh, build narrative. Um, um, and then the answer to that might, might be very simple, but I'm interested to see what it is. I think the main thing, um, beyond just trying to like package some, uh, like some of the the typical sort of powered by the apocalypse style advice into a into a context appropriate way. Um, I think the main thing is the relatively tight structure of the game. I'm a big fan of games that have like a solid structure that tell you what a beginning and what an end of the game look like. Um, and I think one of the things that can happen with younger role players is that they get super excited about the thing and then they go tearing off in different directions narratively. Um, and so some way of everybody knowing that this is, this is where it sort of has to come back together, I think is, is probably, that's probably the most important um, mm-hmm. tool for me. That's in Do you have any other thoughts on that? I mean, that, that kind of works in because you, 
the dinosaur princesses and the paleontologists at the beginning kind of frame how the whole game's going to go forward together. Mm-hmm. And also in kind of a very like powered by the apocalypse-esque sort of way, the dinosaur princesses are doing most of the world building, are doing most of the scene setting and kind of driving most of the play. So the paleontologist's job really is just to kind of help them keep on track a little bit. Mm-hmm. And since they're kind of doing the main scenes and you've already built collectively the framework of the story at the beginning together doesn't really take much for the paleontologist to run the game, which is why I had started running the game yeah. uh, because I was like, Oh, this doesn't actually <laughs> take much work for me um, because really it's the players doing 90% of the work. I yeah. am a big fan as a designer and as a GM of harnessing the, trying to harness the creativity of everybody at the table in particular, in order to make the GM's life easier. Um, like it's, there are, when you sit down to play a game, no matter who you are and where you are, you're sitting down at a table with probably like three to three to six or more or less, like very creative people who have interesting ideas. And so I see as the designer that part of my job is to give a framework so that everybody can get some of those ideas out and on the table. Yeah, when I've sat down with people that have primarily played D&D and I'm playing a game that actually really and I'm playing any game um, that doesn't require very, very, very specific um, setting stuff or environmental stuff to happen. Um, they're always very surprised when I use the Powered by the Apocalypse thing of they, you know, they'll ask me, oh, is, they'll, uh, they'll, I'll say like, oh, there's some enemies coming towards you. It's like, what do they look like? Or, or they're like, oh, is there, is there like something I can climb? Sure. What, what does that look like? What is the thing that you're trying to climb look like? Or like, yeah. And, and asking them to detail uh, things about the world, uh, they often, I've seen people be a little bit like, oh, uh, ooh, and confused, yep. but normally they uh, come around to, okay, all right, I get to like contribute. I'm not just having information fed to me. I get to make yeah. this place my own. And sometimes some players don't like that and that's mm-hmm. fine. And some yeah. players will take a little while to warm up to it and that's fine as well. Um, but I like to give that space when I'm running a game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that if anybody is does want it, then they can like jump in and, and, and use it. And that's one of the nice things with Dinosaur Princesses is, is that because it's a game that is kind of childish in nature and that it's like this kind of like kind of silly, fun, uh, playful. Con- playful concept, it uh, lets you kind of the, like even a player who hasn't really done this before start coming up with fun and interesting um and weird uh, solutions or framings of scenes because you know you've already like been doing these coloring and doodles mm-hmm. and you have these silly characters that you can kind of be like oh I really can do anything mm-hmm. much like when you're because to me that's like Dinosaur Princesses was written initially thinking about kids but for me the game really shines when it's all adults at the table um, and you can really see everyone just kind of like relaxing and having fun and and it's it's like when you used to go out into the field with friends when you were you know six or seven and you'd make these all weird elaborate conflicting story things that made no sense but were so much fun Mm -hmm. um and dinosaur princess kind of allows you to do that so as soon as you realize that that's kind of the theme of the game Mm -hmm. it makes it easier even for someone who might normally be more nervous about saying like oh i have to say what these people look like Mm -hmm. and and when Mm -hmm. those things were back because it's already leaving that space open to be fun and creative and childish it's, yeah. it's just less stress to put out um, an idea. Because you're already in the game, in the, in the sort of world of, like, kids' cartoons, mm-hmm. it's, 
it's very low stakes. Yeah. So a lot of people, when you give them that creative freedom to, to play around with something and or create something in the world, even if it's just like a description of their character, um, sometimes if you're playing like something really serious, uh, you feel a lot of pressure that you want to, you don't want to like let the team down by having the one person whose description like isn't as awesome as everybody else's. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so uh, this kind of should like, kind of lower that a little bit, unless you take jobs, uh, not jobs, uh, so like cartoons very seriously, in which case more power to you. Um, but I, I think that more, most people are, are more likely to be, be able to f- feel a little bit more like kind of free and playful in that kind of like space environment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's very cool. Um, I thought it might be interesting to talk a little bit about um, your plans for your Kickstarter and stuff like that. Um, and what people can expect to get out of, um, out of, uh, dinosaur princesses as a product. Do you feel like comfortable talking about that stuff? Um, yeah, in a kind of preliminary way. Like we haven't finalized all the details. Oh, well, um, that's fair enough. I wasn't sure how far through. No, no, that's fine. Like it's mostly kind of in my mind, but it, and part of it is like in a in a in a in a uh, Kickstarter document that has yet to be like fully developed and will probably need a lot of revision because I worked on it a while ago actually. Um, oh, well, that's fair. So what um what is what is the main thing people are getting out of Kickstarter? Like it's yeah. So the main thing will be the standard like book uh, and there'll be PDF options. Um, the book, as Dana already mentioned, is going to be a coloring book and format. Um, we have already done a a proof through, through Drive Through RPG in no small part to check out the paper quality. <laughs> we wanted to make sure that Drive Through RPG like paper was good enough to draw on, um, which it is. Happily reported. Uh, so that's good. Um, and the sort of like backup plan will be that it'll be produced with print on demand if it like completely blows up then we'll probably look at getting like an offset print run um but then i'd actually have to know more about paper qualities and make sure they give specific instructions to the to the printer so and no we'll see <laughs> this is the perils right when a kickstarter does really well you have to think about a whole lot of different things yeah um, sometimes a kickstarter doing well is actually bad for the yeah. project but we hope we hope not in this instance yeah so the and then the the idea is that stretch goals will be like more art in various ways um, mm-hmm. but yeah most of the, it's going to be relatively simple mm-hmm. um, it's going to be a like a pretty pretty simple kickstarter and we're going to try and like just get it get it done and fulfilled really quickly um, and uh, not get into too many like complicated bits. Yeah, get, yeah. Get the game in people's hands as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Like the game text by the time the Kickstarter goes live, the game text should be done and layout should be done. So it should be just about and all the art. Well, we had to get we had, we had to some get some more, a little, a few do. more art things, but um, most of the art we already have. Yeah, cool. I know that for myself personally, I'm always um, more interested in a Kickstarter project when it is um, when it doesn't have a lot of uh, stretch goals and things. Um, mm-hmm. I know that for lots of people on Kickstarter, it's like, oh yeah, that's gonna that's that'll really get me like value for money. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I just want I want this person to be able to make the thing, and I don't want them to be crippled by <laughs> ship dice across the planet because yeah, they thought all, dice would be cool. Yeah, had like have backed or like fallen in love with a Kickstarter and backed it and really wanted to see it succeed and watched it do really well. And then they shoot themselves in the foot with the stretch goals. And it actually kind of destroys the entire thing that they were starting with. I think everyone's kind of seen one of those happen. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. hopefully it won't be yeah, too. I know. I know. That, um, yeah. The idea is to keep it simple um, yeah. so that we can get on to the next thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I know that for myself as a as a person that is in Australia and therefore shipping things to other places is mm-hmm. prohibitive. I know that for my own games, I probably will not have if they go to Kickstarter, there will not be print versions and mm. that did, yeah. for some people that'll be like, Oh, but I want a print version. Like, cool. I'm not having you yell at me when I can't ship it to America. And you're like, but why can't you ship it to America? Like, cause I'm in Australia. It's not going to, I'm not going to pay, not going to pay a hundred dollars to ship a $30 book. Yeah. It's like, yes, they want the physical copy, but do they want to pay a hundred dollars for it? They probably yeah. don't. I'm not going to pay a hundred dollars for it. So it's your <laughs> shipping. I'm like, Hmm. I mean, uh, that is one of the nice things about drive through RPG is it lets yeah. people mm-hmm. kind of make that choice about how much they really want it, uh, the physical yeah. copy. Yeah, uh, exactly. In terms of printing and shipping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's definitely going to be something that I we haven't discussed and I haven't really thought about yet is, like, what kind of options do we have for international shipping for our thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair, fair. Yeah. Um, I know that for Red Market, some uh, friends of mine uh, got their copies of the Red Market's book by having them shipped to friends in America and then waiting till either they visited the, their friends in America or their American friends visited them in Australia because that was – technically, that isn't cheaper, but it is uh, <laughs> more value for money. Yeah. Right, yeah. It's um, probably like the extra cost of slipping a book into a bag. <laughs> yeah, is, yeah, is, is different. Yeah, like if you're already planning to make the trip to either right. America or Australia, then it is cheaper. Like if that trip was going to happen anyway, it's just yeah. if you make that trip specifically for the book, then it becomes not cheaper. <laughs> well, then you get a lot of side benefits that come with the book. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, theoretically, as long as you just don't fly and pick up the book and fly out again, I would advise against that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I normally like to ask people what uh, what other plans they have for future projects and things. Normally, people say, oh, we're just trying to get this project done. Um, but I like to ask it anyway, because sometimes they tell you that they're working on a game called Dinosaur Princesses, <laughs> and you lose your mind. <laughs> um, so, what uh, other things are you thinking about working on in the future or may already be working on at the moment? Well, the most sort of pressing thing is that actually, and this should be out before the, the Kickstarter starts, is Touched for the Sprawl, um, cool. which people have been waiting for for a while. That's um, the fantasy one? That's the fantasy one, yeah. Um, yeah. And it might not, so it's, it's multiple parts, and that the release for those should start like before this Kickstarter goes, mm-hmm. goes ahead. Um, and then afterwards, and I probably mentioned this when I mentioned Dinosaur Princesses, is my game again about cannibalism among small uh, humanoid creatures. Which that is, sounds familiar. Is most definitely not a kids game, <laughs> um, and that, uh, yeah, Crotophagia. That um, I don't know when. Yeah, uh, that like the specific. That's a when, thing you are thinking uh, of also. That, that is a thing that like it probably it has multiple phases of play. I'm very happy with the first phase of play, and I have just started thinking about the second phase of play. Uh, cool. And I don't know how many phases of play there are, <laughs> and I don't know whether it's going to be one of those things like uh, Fraser's Simon's The Veil, where he originally planned three books, and each book has a separate kind of mm-hmm. thing going on in it. I um, must say, when I found out that that was what The Veil was about, I've completely changed my tune about The Veil as a game. Like when I first saw The Veil, I'm like, mm, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 got a lot of interesting ideas, but I don't know if I'm I don't know how I feel about it. And then I did an interview with Fraser talking about how the game was always planned to be this thing that evolves. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, I yeah. Wish it's you pretty... Telegraph that more when I. 
when yeah, I, I didn't, about it. Yeah, I didn't know whether he did telegraph that and I just didn't see it early on or whether he didn't and was keeping it close to his chest just in case, like, it didn't work out or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there's definitely a danger. Like, there's the danger of stretch goals with Kickstarters, but there's also the danger of promising that you're going to do multiple projects. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then, like, one of them falls through. And, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I have hacked a couple of Kickstarters like that where they were perceived as those multi-stage things and didn't end up like that. Um, yeah. And, yeah, that's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dana, yeah. what about you? Do you have any cool cat hacks for games uh, coming out? <laughs> well, I am working, I mentioned earlier, on a text-based choose-your-own-adventure game um, that was started as one of those predict like Twitter predictive texts where you put like my new game is, and then you just hit the buttons and um, my friend Ash, they were doing it and they got a kitten is about a kitten and the way it gets down to business. And this is really actually how we met. I think we were following each other, but didn't really know each other. And I saw this tweet and I was like, I would play that game. I would write that game. And they were like, do you want to write that game with me? And I was like, yes. And originally we were thinking it would be a role-playing game, like a tabletop role-playing game. Um, But the more we were talking about it, the more we realized that, we kind of want to do actually as a more closed, like choose your own adventure sort of a thing, though there's still the possibility it might after that phase turn into a role-playing game. Uh, we'll kind of see. So that's in really early stages. I'm really behind on my writing for that. Um, I don't know. Cool. I have a couple of like vague ideas kicking around the back of my head, uh, but I don't know if they'll actually come into fruition. I also am going to write when Credifagi eventually gets a little further along, I'm going to write my own setting for it, <laughs> um, which will be about a feral cat colony. Nice. Uh, cannibalism body horror. Uh, so. Yeah, wow, that's going to be a lot. Are we going to see... I don't even know if Dinosaur Princesses could have a cat princesses supplement, but I, I don't know. I felt, uh, this was something we when it, when we were, he was, we were first kind of Hamish was first telling me about dinosaur princesses and I was like, I'm going to put a cat in all your games. And he was like, well, yeah, your, your dinosaur type could be cat. And I have played as a cat ninja was one of my dinosaur princesses. Um, so yes, you can be a cat and play all as cats and dinosaur princesses, which is very important. I think uh, one of the really interesting things that you've told me about dinosaur princesses so far, that's like really challenging my entire like concept of what a game premise can be is that you can play a dinosaur princess that is a cat ninja, which is sounds like neither a dinosaur nor a princess. Something I really like about that is it kind of... I guess it implies sort of that you're... Is, a- yeah, well, it's yeah. sort of playing around with the idea that labels don't necessarily always mean what you expect them to mean. And that you can uh, kind of play around with with what, what labels might might mean for you mm-hmm. and and your iteration of it it's a it, in many ways it's kind of a queer game um mm. which i enjoy yeah i would add to that as well that it kind of comes back to my um one of my sort of like design goals for dinosaur princesses that i said earlier that i don't want to restrict the kid's imagination mm-hmm. and like the first thing that i imagine is that when a kid sits down to play this game like oh cool i want to be a cat mm-hmm and it's like, well, you don't want to say, no, this game is about dinosaurs. I mean, you can, but I don't think you should do that with this mm-hmm. game. There are other games about dinosaurs that you can do that with, maybe. Um, but this yeah, game... You can do is... that in Escape from Jurassic Park. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. If you're playing GURPS Jurassic World, then you should, as the GM, probably say, no. Well, maybe not. maybe you could play a cat in that. I mean, GURPS, right? You could do whatever you, you want. Yeah, you could. You just play like a saber-toothed cat or something <laughs> right right but that's exactly it like there's always a way to fit in these ideas that may not like seem to fit i feel like calling the game dinosaur princesses and then like that's enough of a constraining of dinosaurs i want to do 
right beyond that. Like if everybody sees that, a lot of them will, a lot of the players, if you show that to a bunch of people, will, will immediately make up a dinosaur. And that's cool. Uh, but for that person who really do- is not feeling dinosaurs today or mm-hmm. uh, just doesn't like dinosaurs um, or just or really just feels really, like really likes trains. Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. You, you could play Thomas the Tank Engine with Dinosaur Princesses, actually. Wow. <laughs> just. <laughs> I, I had someone who was an ant. Oh, nice. Um, I mean, ants are kind of like the ants fit. Yeah, yeah but the, the thing is, like, you have, like, this tiny, tiny, tiny little oh, critter. Tiny ant. It was a well, tiny yeah. ant. And then, like, there was, like, a gigantic T-Rex as well in the game. Um, so it was it was really fun seeing That's, what they did with that. And see, I can I can imagine that show being – I can imagine turning on the TV and seeing yeah, that show. Exactly. Um, which is, like, kind of, as you can tell from the way we're talking about it, one of the things that I think about when I think about the game. That's not explicitly in there anymore in the, any way. You're not, like – it's not like uh, – it's not like uh, uh, PTA um, – uh, uh, Prime time adventures. Thank you. So, uh, where you are explicitly playing a TV show or anything like that. It's not, and it's not like I think there's a game called Saturday Morning Cartoons or something like that. It's not. It's not that. It's just that kind of world. Yeah, I know that when I run Apocalypse World stuff, and well, powered by the Apocalypse stuff, I often use descriptions of what this would look like in a TV show, Absolutely. and things yeah. like that because it's just. It's just very useful to be like, yeah, we pull wide and we see the lighting or, or it's like, oh, it's, it's movie nighttime. So it's just this, this scene was just shot with a blue, blue filter on the camera. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I do exactly the same thing. I think it's a really useful like set of like kind of vocab, a vocab, really useful vocabulary and set of kind of grammar that people are really, uh, everybody is like familiar with generally. Like everybody has seen TV shows and movies and knows some of those things, even if they don't sort of think of themselves as being TV or movie buffs. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. And it's really wonderful hearing about, um, hearing about your game and getting a bit more of insight to it. I hope that everybody listening is as excited for this coloring book RPG as I am. Cause like, that's definitely a unique selling point. Actually, I've remembered the thing that I wrote, the note that I wrote down. Um, <laughs> remember the thing uh, you wrote Yes, I remembered the thing that I wrote down in front of me rather than ignore it. Um, doesn't really fit into the conversation we just had, but it t- fits into some earlier part of our conversation for sure. And that was that um, uh, I used the weapon tags and from the sprawl in my mecha RPG primarily, and I took a lot of the a lot of a lot of the way that weapons work in. My mecha RPG is taken from Monster of the Week and The Sprawl in particular. Both of those have custom weapon building things. So does Apocalypse World. So that's, I mean... Well, yes. Yes, so does Apocalypse World. That's true. Primarily, I took uh, cues from those two um, more than Apocalypse Worlds. I I give that a big thumbs up. Yeah. (laughs) I just can't remember (laughs) now what it was that made me think of that earlier in the interview, unfortunately. But I wanted to mention it. Um, uh, descriptors, dinosaur mecha, dinosaur mecha. There is a like I had someone play a, a mecha T Rex actually um, when I ran it on Sunday. I used to draw cyborg dinosaurs a lot when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I really liked drawing cyborg dinosaurs. Like, oh, this pterodactyl has jets. Yes. Yeah, we had someone who had a flamethrower mm-hmm. um, and like a chainsaw arm. Once it was a pterodactyl. It was like a pterodactyl with a chainsaw. Yeah, it was. Oh it. God, their, was their, their princess type was actually destroyer with the heart of a poet. 
<laughs> it was really good. That is, that is That's sick. really good. I drew, <laughs> I drew a T Rex that had like a space between its little arms where a, a rocket fired out of. <laughs> like a like a panel folded down and then the rocket flew off the panel. <laughs> um oh, very cool, very cool. I very I'm so keen to play this game. <laughs> I cannot put it into words. Um but if people want to find out more about um the things that you're working on or projects you have or even they want to find this game, um how can they do that? Um so uh rdns.org is um, my website, our website. Um, and there's a Dinosaur Princesses page on there. I think that'll be linked in the show notes. Um, mm-hmm. You can also find links to uh, other games, particularly the Sprawl, but also Crowd of Figure and whatever else is up there at that point. Um, uh, I'm on Twitter as Peregrine Kiwi um, and also RDN's Luderay. Is it underscore Luderay? I think it's starting. I think it is. I forget. I don't <laughs> actually give that out very often. <laughs> is that on your pay- on the website? I think it's on the website. Okay, it should be. Yeah, it'll be on the website. If it's be not, you better make sure it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I think that's... Uh, yeah, um, so you can find me on Twitter at Day the Elf, and that's, I don't know, I really mostly just retweet pictures of cats. Uh, that's important. That's <laughs> but, a service. But I don't really have any other place where I really collect the stuff I'm working on beyond like beyond like the stuff that I'm working on um, on Arden's. If you want to get notified of when the Kickstarter starter goes live, though, maybe it should, be, it should, should already be live. Should be actually, live, live as we are just yeah, as so it's already live. Yeah. So never mind. But so uh, I'll that. probably have it as a pinned tweet on my uh, Twitter page of. I'm going to the Kickstarter, so I don't mm-hmm. know. The Kickstarter should be live unless you're <laughs> listening to this. Very far in the future after the Kickstarter project has yeah. fulfilled. So, or unless you have hacked Ray's computer, oh, yeah. uh, in which case, get out. That's bad. Don't yeah, what are you doing? But also, uh, lead skills, bro. Yeah. <laughs> you hacked, could do a cyber They've hacked the Gibson. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, hack the corporations, Gibson. Hack the corporations, Gibson. Uh, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Uh, yeah, so there should be a link down below to the Kickstarter. Um, and if you have any questions uh, for me or for Hamish or for Dana, um, leave us a comment down below um, on any of the things where you can comment. Unless if iTunes has a comment section, don't leave your comment there because I will never see it because I never check iTunes ever since I since I put the podcast up on there. I have never looked at it ever since. Now I want to go look just to see if there's just a whole lot of comments there. Oh, man. Yeah, I've never looked at it. I put it up and no one's ever said, oh, the feed stopped working. So I assume it's fine. Um but if you want to leave us a comment, you can uh, do that down below uh, on SoundCloud or uh, WordPress. Um, both of those, well, the main site, both of those work uh, very well for commenting. You can also just respond to the tweet. Um, you can send us an email, stuff like that. Um, just if you have any questions about this or other uh, projects that um, these two are working on, just let us know and we'll try and get back to you about that. Um, uh, other than that... Um, you can uh, find more interviews from us in the sidebar over there by clicking on the interviews tag or the interviews category. You can find the interview that we did with Hamish about the sprawl and some of the projects that were coming out about that, including where they, uh, where he told us about uh, dinosaur princesses for the first time. Uh, so you can find that over there by clicking on Hamish's name. Um, and apart from that, 
Um, I want to thank you both for being on the show, and I want to thank um, all of you for listening. I hope that you all had a wonderful time, and farewell from the past. I'm Ray.